Hey guys, welcome to the Living Sport Podcast, where we connect you to young professionals and sport business experts from around the world. I'm Alicia Marinelli, your host, and I'm inviting you to join us as we head to, well, everywhere. I'll explain that in just a second. Our guest today, Christy Bonk, is a sport industry professional with years of experience in special events with the Miami Dolphins and is currently an independent contractor in our industry. This means sports events from all over the country hire her to help run the show, and she travels to wherever location an event may bring her. Pretty cool, right? Her most recent gig was a big one. Christy was in Tampa Bay where she joined the team at Populous to manage important logistical aspects of Super Bowl 55 at Raymond James Stadium. Listen in how she began her career in sport, what it was like facilitating events at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami, and insights on managing the inner workings of Super Bowl 54 in Miami and Super Bowl 55 in Tampa Bay. Before we begin, I want to remind you, please subscribe to our podcast and rate it five stars. Also, follow us on social at I Am Living Sport. Let's go to it with Christy Bonk. Here we go. We have a great guest today, Christy Bonk. Welcome to the Living Sport Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So the last we saw each other was in Tampa, Florida. So you are back settling in. You're in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania right now, right? Currently, I am in Philadelphia, PA right now. Yep. And we talked a lot about um, everybody listening knows that I was from the, the Philadelphia area and now I'm spending some time in Alabama, which you're familiar with the South because your sport business experience, uh, a lot of it happened actually both in Pennsylvania and down <laughs> South, which we'll get into a little bit. So we're kind of trading places here. Yeah, I'm very jealous. I actually wish I was in the South right now. I try to extend my South trips as long as possible if I can. <laughs> I'm telling you, you guys got have been getting a lot of snowstorms up there. Right now here in Alabama, the sun is shining and it's probably in the 60s. It's perfect. Yeah, I'm very jealous. It's the warmest it's been today. So I'm very excited about that much. Snow's a little bit melting. So glad to have that happening. So we had some fun there in Tampa. We met... Um, really on the days and weeks leading up to Super Bowl 55, which was a historic Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay Bucks were in it. Um, nobody has ever seen that um, because that was the first time that happened. So what I want you to do before I jump into that is give a little background about who you are. This is the Living Sport Podcast. And based upon your history, you in fact have been living sport and really knew since the get-go that you wanted to get into this industry. So tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. Yeah, so I grew up actually in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is one of those cities that you just grow up a diehard sports fan. That's, it is what it is. I grew up a diehard Steelers fan. We used to go to Pirates games, all the things with my grandparents and my parents. We've had Steelers season tickets since long before I was born. So I was born and raised into a family that would quiz me on baseball players and their jersey numbers when I was like three years old. So this is a lifelong thing for me and it is for my family as well, which is something we can get into. But as far as my life is concerned, I ended up going to the University of Pittsburgh for school and I actually was going to be a teacher. That was actually my background first. So I have a degree in Spanish and education, but I also cheered in college. So I was a cheerleader at the University of Pittsburgh. And that's kind of what re-sparked my interest in noticing that sport could be an actual career. Um, I worked super closely with our athletic department on a lot of the events and games and stuff like that that we performed at, which is how I ended up 
you know, noticing what it took behind the scenes to make an event kind of come to life. And that's sort of where I fell back in love with it. I actually did a four-year degree, decided teaching wasn't going to be what I did for the rest of my life. I went back to school for one year, did a communications degree, interned with the University of Pittsburgh's athletic department in their media relations team. And then I also, at the same time, took a second internship because I knew I was behind. I went into a second internship with the Steelers at the same time. And that's kind of where I fell in love with the marketing and sports and event side of that industry, which is kind of where my background is now. When I graduated, I didn't really have a job. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. There's a lot of different ways into this industry. Sales seems to be a big one, but for me, I knew that wasn't going to be my path. I just was never good at it. I have a lot of friends that are amazing at it and are crushing careers in it, but I did. I interviewed for a sales position and decided I didn't think that was it. So I took the chance on myself and decided, you know, that's not what I'm going to do. And then I ended up getting a position with the Steelers not long after they had somebody leave a position that they needed to fill. And so they called and I had just finished my internship there and they needed somebody right away. So I was available and my schedule was flexible. And so I walked right in and jumped into an events role, which is where I had like the best boss of all time. And she really took me under her wing and, you know, helped me start my career in the events world. And that's really where I would say that really took off. And then since then, I have lived in Tampa for a brief time. I worked for a marketing company that had some sports as their clients. So I did social media for bowl games, college bowl games, which was really cool. And then the majority of my time was actually spent in Miami with the Dolphins. And I spent six seasons there, about seven years almost, but six seasons with them and made managed through a whole lot of different jobs and different things as we kind of went through and now I'm in Philly and I've taken on more of an independent contractor, which I'm sure we'll get into as well, but that's a little bit about me. So you said a couple of things there, Christy, that really struck home. First of all, while you were in school, you, you made the change because it's okay in life to realize, hey, maybe I'm not on the path. You know, when we're picking our rest of our life, our major in, in college, we are 16 and 17 years old. How are we supposed to know what we want to do for the rest of our lives, right? Yeah, you're not. <laughs> That's what's crazy is you're not. The expectation that you are is something that I can't even fathom. And I'm so glad that I made the change. And I would suggest that if you know in your heart that you're not doing what you feel passionate about, that you need to make that jump and do it as soon as you can. Sure, because you never know, right? You don't want to live with your whole entire entire life. You don't know what if. That's a terrible feeling, I'm sure, to live with. So I even live my life that way. I try to, if I have any what ifs, I tried to do something that could write that, like, right, give me a taste yeah. of what it could have been and uh, just go from there, really. Yeah, same. I agree. I totally agree with that way of living. That's the only way to do it. I've changed career paths. I've changed jobs. I've changed numerous times. I've changed cities. You just keep going. You got to make the best of all of it. Life is an adventure. Yeah. And you only get one shot at it. So you might as well. That's for sure. You also said you um, did some work when you were at the University of Pittsburgh doing some things. University of Pittsburgh plays or is associated with Heinz Field where the Steelers play, correct? Correct, they are. How does that help and why did you get involved with some of those positions? Yeah, so it was super cool. So I ended up doing media relations, which I worked with the guy who was actually the football person. He was the contact for football. 
So I ended up working with him pretty closely. Um, we ended up actually more in like basketball season and wrestling. But the crossover for me was that I cheered on Heinz Field every Saturday, which was super cool to see. And then you would go down to the facility, um, which Pitt's facility shares a building with the Steelers. So you could kind of see that those two, yeah, so that those two things kind of came together and formed one big, you know, giant Pittsburgh football family, which was really awesome to see. But that crossover for me was what kind of made the whole thing really special. And I chose to stay close to home for school. So that was my hometown teams, both of those. So that was super exciting for me to be able to kind of get my foot in the door with both of those organizations. So if you go to college that is directly associated and the sports is connected to your professional team, it's kind of like a a foot in the door automatically to get involved. Yeah, it can be. I worked, so like I said, I worked closely with our staff at the University of Pittsburgh, who did have more of a connection with the Steelers as well. Everybody knows everybody in that sports world. It's not just in Pittsburgh, but it's even closer there. The Roonies are a family-owned business, and, you know, everybody crosses over at some point, and it's a big, one big happy, like I said, football family, which is how Pittsburgh runs <laughs> its whole life. <laughs> For sure. I know my friends in Pittsburgh, uh, they are diehard. It's really cool. You know what I love about Pittsburgh is all, I think it's all, or most of your teams share the same color scheme. So it does create a vibe that we're all one family. We're all one city. Yeah. So black and yellow, black and gold, that song with with Khalifa is kind of the theme song of the whole city. And everybody really is. All the pro teams are black and gold. Pitt is navy, navy and gold, but it still gives off the same vibe. They change out all the signage for games and stuff like that, but it's all the same vibe there. So all the professional teams are black and gold. Hello, Living Sport Podcast listeners. Can you name two other U.S. cities where three or more professional sport organizations share the same colors? DM us on Instagram at IamLivingSport. The first listener to guess correctly will earn an official Living Sport scarf. Now let's get back to the podcast. Let's transition over to your experience with the Miami Dolphins. A lot of young professionals, they want to work in the NFL, right? Um, So tell us about how you started. I saw you just grew over the six years you were there, went from position to position. How was it like working for an NFL team? So it's an awesome experience. I mean, as most people probably do know, the NFL is just, they have so much power over so many things and they have the way of bringing people together like nobody else in all honesty like it's my favorite sport hands down so that's kind of why I was driven to work there but when we moved to Miami I decided that that was something that I did want to do in a position not long after I got there open that was very similar to the one that I had had at the Steelers and it was actually like kind of my first intro into like what was that role full-time all like no bars hold, just kind of jumping right in, two feet in. And it's a different organization. It's very different than the Steelers. It's a very different market. So you have to learn quickly how to adjust and handle what the Miami market is like versus what the Pittsburgh, which is not similar even a little bit. But as I went through there, I took on an events role, special events role first. I then jumped ship and went into the department that was entertainment and brand impact. But all of the events still fell under that department as well, all the internal Dolphins events. And then I did actually jump back. I did a year where I managed their wives. So players' wives, coaches' wives, staff wives, which is a job that like I never even thought was A, real or B, something that I would be doing. Um, But I did, you know, it was just something different. Got me out from under my comfort zone a bit, which is cool. Learned a lot about how that world works. And then I ended up jumping right back in to a special events manager type of role when they rebuilt the department following 
years and years of major, major millions of dollars of construction, then they realize that building is so worth selling. And it's so cool that we can start this whole department from scratch. So we did, we jumped back in, we had a whole sales team, we had a whole operations team, and we jumped back in, collided and started selling these major massive events at this beautiful new venue, which I don't know if you were in Miami or not last year, but it is stunning for um, major events. And so that kind of was the last thing that I did there was that event manager position, um, kind of focusing on some of the larger um, private events that came into the building, as well as Miami Open was like the last big, big thing that I did, which was the coolest experience. Let's dig into some of the events that you did there. You said private events. So for our viewers that may not really understand, well, what type of events is she talking about? The weird thing about a football stadium is NFL teams only play at home 10 times a year. So there's really like only 10 days out of the year that are actually used for football. We also had the University of Miami who also plays, you know, a shorter schedule at home. And then we also had the Orange Bowl, which is one day a year. So outside of really those days, the calendar is wide open to do all sorts of other things with and to drive revenue for the business. So that's kind of where I stepped in. Like I said, I wasn't on our sales team. I was on our operational side. So our sales team would really go out and assist with the sales portion of the business. They would go find different event planners or people coming to Miami, which is a huge market for tourism. And we would bring these conferences and major events to the stadium and we would execute them in a venue that's non-traditional. So instead of sitting in a four-walled ballroom in any hotel in Miami, you could come to the stadium and do your event in one of our club spaces or on the field or wherever we had available kind of at the time, depending on season. Seems like an easy sell, right? Who wouldn't <laughs> want to be inside a stadium compared to what you call like, what did you say? A four-walled ballroom. ballroom. <laughs> That's yeah. totally true because when you're at these conference centers, you don't see anything, but really what's going on. But being at conferences at a large scale facility um, just is, is motivating, right? Inspiring, brings a different yeah. to your event. It does. And we were able to do things that they wouldn't have been able to do elsewhere. We also were a huge venue for offsites. So even if people did book their conference at a hotel or something like that, they could come and spend a full afternoon with us and execute some sort of team building on the field or do games and events or something like that, or take a big tour with wine and art and stuff like that, because the culture of Miami is so ingrained into that stadium. And then the history of the Dolphins is super cool. So we were able to do really cool photo ops and really cool things with this group of people that uh, up until that point was stuck in that four walled ballroom. And then they got to come off site and kind of just be a kid and let off some steam, which was always really fun. So you're, when you talked about your position where it was titled women's organization and event coordinator, that yes. was working with the players' wives. You don't hear that job a lot. It exists, but sometimes it's the community relations department handling that other time it's player personnel. Explain that position because a lot of people don't know it's out there. Yeah. And I will say it. I didn't do it for very long. I did it for one year and that was about it, but it was very much in conjunction, like you said, with community relations. That is who I worked with quite a bit. Did fall under our department, which I was still under entertainment and brand impact, but it did fall under that department that year for whatever reason. It was just one of those things that sort of came our way and we were like, yeah, let's do it. We'll take it on, do something different with it. It was really cool because I did have an event background. 
So I was able to do like our kickoff luncheon for them at the stadium where all of the new player, player and coach and staff executive families could come in. And that's their really first time they're seeing the building, that they're learning where to go on game day, that they're learning how everything functions, because a lot of these players and coaches are brand new. And we did have a lot of turnover when I was in Miami on like the football side. So every every year, basically, we would have a whole group of new coaches and families that come along with that, that like just need the assistance. And we did our best to welcome them into the Dolphins family and really help them kind of manage that transition a bit more in their lives and then make sure that they were good to go like on game days and for um, community work, which is another thing that we did. Like I said, we moved closely with community relations, which that player day off on Tuesdays was the day that we used to do the visits to hospitals and other sort of community functions. And we would include wives and stuff into those mixes so that then they could be with their significant others while we went and visited, you know, sick kids in a hospital or whatever the deal was that week. And we did some super cool things with that group. And it was, you know, rewarding, very, very much rewarding. A lot of newer facilities are making room specifically for players, families, wives, kids. Did Hard Rock Stadium have something like that for them? Yeah, we did. We had a pregame space. They would do a quick tailgate outdoors, and then they would have access in what was the team meal room prior to game. We would flip and convert that space, and that was actually our babysitting room. So we did. We hired out a babysitting company that, you know, was fully certified, and they would come in parents would come in, sign the waivers, drop their kids off, and they would be able to go enjoy the game while they knew their kids were under care. And then the family's parents that had the wristband that matched would be able to come in and hang out if they needed to. It gave like nursing mothers a space for them to have some private room, and it gave them a chance to come in, see their kids, get out of the heat for a little bit, and then go back upstairs. If they wanted to take their kid up, they could. If not, you know, if they knew their kid could only last one quarter, they would take them with them and then they could bring them back down. But yes, we did have that space. And then they even did like a post-game family like meeting room where there was like some food and beverage for one for coaches and one for players post-game as well. Now let's move on to the now. Now you are doing some independent contractor work. You are kind of in, in two parts of the industry. You're still in the event world and you're doing some fitness training side of things. So what are you up to these days? Yeah. So when we left Miami, I guess even before that fitness has been a huge part of my life. And that was always something that I had decided that I wanted to do at some point. I was just so slammed in Miami that I was like, I don't know that right now is the right time for it, but I bought the book in, in with the good intentions, I guess at the time, but I didn't study. I can be honest. I didn't study until I had moved and kind of taken myself out of that position full-time with the Dolphins. While I was still in Miami, I had worked a couple of Super Bowls already with one of my colleagues who kind of took me under his wing when I got there. He was the kind of the way that I started meeting some people and getting into do. I did New York and I did San Francisco. And in San Francisco is actually where I met Sarah, who you guys met in um, Tampa as well. So I met Sarah in um, San Francisco. And then oddly enough, I knew that I was leaving Miami and I ran into Sarah in the hallway of Hard Rock Stadium. She was doing a site visit, a pre, like a pre-planning site visit or walkthrough. And I happened to be running a meeting in the hallway with some of my team. And I ended up just stopping my meeting, going and giving her a huge hug because we don't get to see each other that often. And I had mentioned that I was leaving and I had said, you know, if Populous needs any help, you know, I would love to be involved. This is something that I still want to keep up with. I want to do, I don't necessarily have a full-time job in Philly yet. 
So I would love to continue and keep up with this. So she's like, all right, keep in touch with me and we'll keep working it out. What you'll learn is that everybody in this industry knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. So, you know, you just kind of have to keep those contacts really strong. And that was kind of, Sarah was kind of my contact. So through that, I was able to kind of get myself back in with Populous. And I did my first Super Bowl with them was Miami, which for me was a huge homecoming and was really an amazing experience because I had started working on that event with the Dolphins. And so for me losing that event, I was like absolutely devastated that I wasn't going to get to do that Super Bowl. So it did work out really well. As like I said, a homecoming, everything kind of came full circle. I got to work with a lot of the people that I had worked with for, you know, six, seven years on a lot of the stuff and execute in a building that I was like, it was my home and I was so familiar with. So that was the first one I did with them. And then the world shut down basically a few, few weeks later. So I had other events lined up and then those all got canceled. And then, you know, in September, they had reached out and asked if I wanted to come back and do Tampa and start working on it sooner than later. So I got to assist in a lot more of the pre-planning this year and then go on site a little bit earlier and then help with all of the execution all the way up and through the game. So Populous, explain to our viewers what they do. They they do a lot, but they do everything. Specifically, what were you involved in? What department were you involved in when they took over Super Bowl 55? Yeah, so they do all operations and logistics. They also do accreditation. They also are mainly their full-time staff architects that build giant stadiums and Olympic venues and all of the biggest things that you guys see in the world. Like they build them from scratch, like from the ground up. Um, One of the staff that was in Tampa was actually the architect on Raymond James's project years ago. So when that came up, so full circle again for him to come back and, you know, help manage a Super Bowl in that building. So they do a lot of things. And they hire out a group of independent contractors in addition to their full-time team that comes down. Most of us are independent contractors that come in and operate the logistics and operations of the event. Exterior, interior, I actually ended up helping Sarah and I really executed the Populous Game Day teammates, which is how we ended up meeting. So that is a group of staff volunteers that come together either locally or from school groups around the country that travel to Tampa and then execute, assist in executing, you know, wayfinding and guest experience type roles at different events throughout Super Bowl week. Our focus is mainly the teammates that come to us on game day. So that was really what we did. We managed all the communication, all the training, all the lead in for all of that, making sure everybody was going to get there on time, get their credentials, do all of that kind of stuff, and then get to the stadium and really able to assist us with fans on game day. Due to this thing called um, COVID-19 and this whole pandemic that was going on, right? We, we didn't know, you probably had insider information, but the general public really didn't know if the Super Bowl was really going to happen. Like, were we able to pull this off um, as a sport industry and then the NFL and then people like Populous, like you said, and everybody involved. So you started this role with Populous remotely. Mm-hmm. And then you come to the city where it's being held, which of course was Tampa explain that to the to the our listeners so you're working from home so was everybody and then you have to come on site because you're managing people on site you need to learn uh, Raymond James Stadium yeah so we did we started remotely just like everybody was this whole year um, which was was crazy I mean and, and that's pretty much more or less how we operate normally most of the work is done remotely but there were 
in prior years, more frequent site visits to the stadium. And at, on a monthly basis, more people would go and make sure that everything is like progressing properly and making sure that we're all on the same page, learning the building, knowing where things are, knowing what will go where, because that building is a full takeover when you look at what game day looks like versus what it operates like on say a Bucks game or a USF game. So it operates completely differently. And so all those months leading up, basically from the year prior, those months leading up are slotting what goes in what room and making sure that the exterior has, you know, the a proper amount of space to even build all the tents and build outs and everything that you need to make sure that all of this can be executed on game day. A lot of those things got pushed back this year. And especially, you know, that March, April timeframe when nobody knew what was happening, you know, that was the scariest part as everybody is wondering, like, can we even do this? How are sports going to happen? NBA had just shut down. I had two or three major events canceled. So it was just one of those crazy things that at the beginning, you're looking at it like, holy heck, we don't even know how this is going to come back. And then by the time you got to that, you know, August, September, October timeframe, you're watching the NFL really start to, you know, get the ball rolling little by little. You're seeing, you know, a game's happening. Hard Rock had fans. Tampa had some fans. Different cities, different markets were able to have you know, execute safe events. And so you're starting to see that maybe there is some promise for these things coming back, which is amazing. And so by the time we got to February, they did leave some, you know, leeway there just in case, you know, we had to be flexible on time frame of, you know, maybe the Pro Bowl doesn't happen and maybe we have to use that week for to finish up playoffs and then go into Super Bowl. So there was some, you know, back and forth behind the scenes of just, you know, just in case, but for whatever reason, we were able to, you know, pull this off following all of these protocols that were put in place, which the NFL did a great job of, you know, making sure that we were all staying safe, protecting us, protecting their fans, protecting everybody, teams and players had strict protocols all year. And so it was just a very different world that we were operating in. But once you got there and were on site, you were like, yeah, we can do this. We can do it. No matter how many changes there are, no matter what comes next, we feel like in a safe way, we can pull this off, which was like probably the coolest part of the whole thing. Now, Christy, in this role, what would you say, what was the most challenging part of doing an event during this time? Um, it was just different in protocols as far as it, like, it's just so crazy to think that all of a sudden you're in this world where you are wearing a mask, you are sitting six feet from somebody that typically we're all like on top of each other. We pointing at each other's computers, using each other's stuff you know, in two bedroom apartments that we could normally like have a roommate and stuff. So you're not really able to do any of that kind of stuff. So I would say all of the changes in that, like we tested a couple of times a week as well, just to ensure that that was the case. And we had to do backups on backups on backups of what if plans, just in case one person went down. We also were tracking devices that would blink if we were within six feet of each other. So it was a lot of those kind of things that we were working around um, we carried pool noodles. That was another thing that we did that at least demonstrated what six feet looked like from one to another, because sometimes you just don't realize that you're within somebody else's six feet. And you had to really get comfortable with speaking to somebody from six feet apart rather than, you know, up close and personal, like I normally would. I'm a close talker and that's normally what I do. I don't mind being in people's space. So it was very different for all of us to adjust to those kind of changes and how you would normally operate that was probably the craziest, you know, parts of it. And then it led to changes within the building as well, socially distanced pods. And then you saw all of the cardboard cutouts that took up space that didn't have real humans in it. And then, you know, queue lines look differently for different, you know, concessions and restrooms and merchandise. 
you have to manage all of those as well to keep as many people safe as you possibly can. Having that experience at the Super Bowl, it's just going to continue to be like this. As of yesterday, Madison Square Garden opened its doors for the first time. A lot of arenas and stadiums are opening now to fans again. So everybody in this sports world is going through the same things that you just listed that you guys went through with the Super Bowl. And the funny thing is that the industry is basically writing these rules as we go. We're learning ourselves because no one has ever been through anything like this, nor did we ever think we would. Correct. And that's the thing is that it's not as if like, say the NFL or the NBA, it's not as if any of them were experts in COVID prior to this happening. Nobody is. So you see, and as we go, you see that the regulations are becoming, you know, they're following CDC guidelines. They're following these protocols that are put in place by doctors and specialists and scientists that are studying this on the back end and then giving us ways to make things happen in a safe and like easy manner for us to be able to execute. But we aren't, we don't know. Nobody knows. That's what's so crazy about it. And we're just, everybody is out there doing their best and like, you basically have to give yourself and everybody else around you some grace because you're making these decisions and you're going, yeah, I think, you know, this looks best. This is what we would do to call it the safest, but you truly have no idea if somebody is going to act opposite of what you think that they're going to do. So you just kind of have to manage it. And like I said, make the best decision at the time. These are people, I worked with people that are some of the smartest people I've ever been around and watching them make decisions and work is like so impressive and so incredible. So they really do. They make the best decisions that they can. We all do. And we move forward from there. And hopefully as we go, we can return to some sense of a normal world, whether that's masks, social distancing, however that works, we can go ahead and move forward and at least execute these events because I think it gives people something to look forward to and, you know, some sense that maybe the world will come back at some point here. So that's what we're hoping. So what are your, you know, we are talking a lot about the industry and just talking to you, you could hear your passion. You've done so many things in the industry. You're willing to travel to these big events and, you know, spend time and move away from your hometown, which is important when you're working in sport, because, you know, you have to make those moves to grow in the industry. What is it that you love so much about working in sport? I always feel like sports has a way of bringing people together that almost nothing else does in the world. You see people from all walks of life come together to like support their local sports team. Philly is a tough market. These people here do not play with their football, but you see everybody, all types. Like it's just so crazy to watch like every different type of human being come together to support the Eagles or the Flyers or the Phillies or whoever it is. You come together and you see this awesome execution of this event, but then it's so much larger than that. And it impacts people's lives so much more than just coming to a game for a few hours on a Sunday. It's just like, that's something that people like live and breathe for. And to be able to get to execute those events and watch the impact that it has on those people is something that I would say never, ever gets old. And I could say that after years of watching like team intros on the field for the Dolphins every week, I had goosebumps. It didn't even matter what happened. I had chills watching it and you saw the fans and you saw how excited they were and the fireworks are going and the smoke is going and the players are running out. And there's just this level of excitement that you can't really get anywhere else. I feel like nothing compares to it. So I have to ask you, I didn't bring it up, but do you think it's really to a time in Miami? 
I do. Honestly, I hope so for their sake, to be quite honest with you. We have a ton of friends that still work in that building and we hope for their sake that everything, you know, runs smoothly with Tua because they have a lot going with him. But honestly, I don't know what they're going to do next. So we'll see what happens. I just hope that they have a good season for their sake. They deserve it. That organization deserves it. They're an awesome group of people. So I hope for their sake that he's successful there. The last couple of years have been big with quarterbacks, right? Like, especially this year going into the NFL season. So um, that's what you said. The NFL is your sport, really, that you love to watch. It is mine, too. So <laughs> it, it's been fun for sure. And um, seeing the league, right? We talked about this, but seeing the league make the Super Bowl happen during this time, it just gives all the hope in the world that our industry can get back to the way uh, we were just over a year ago and bring fans in safely, et cetera. I'm going to flip more towards um, some of your advice that you have for some of our listeners. Explain to people what your ideal teammate looks like. Yeah. So my ideal teammate, honestly, a team player is probably the biggest thing that I would say. It takes everybody in this type of an industry to make an event happen from large events to small events and everything in between, like as much as whether you're the lead on that project or not, it takes a million other humans to make that work. It took our engineering team. It took our plumbers. It took our AV team. It takes our housekeeping staff. It takes so many people to just turn the lights on in the building and have parking staff ready and all of these things ready to go when a guest shows up for whatever event that that is, whether it is a game of 75,000 people or whether it's an event for 200, it still takes that large group of people. So being a team player and being able to do, have a whatever, do whatever it takes mentality is probably the things that I look for. Um, and I've hired staff and I've hired staff with very little experience, but people that you could just get the sense in their interview that they would be there no matter what it took to get the job done and do it and do it well. Detail-oriented is another one that I always tend to look for, and that's because I'm a type A personality, and I kind of expect that from everybody else as well. Um, my bosses always have been as well, and I think in the event world, that's something that you kind of tend to see a lot. So being detail-oriented and controlling the things that you can control. There's always going to be things that happen, but as long as it's happening behind the scenes and that it's something that you don't let the guests see and you manage it and write it on the back end, those details you've planned that much so that you're able to manage those details and things that go wrong quickly, swiftly, and without, you know, anybody else noticing. So those are a couple of the things that I would say people that I look for in teammates and staff that I've worked with. And I would think that my bosses would say the same, honestly, all of my prior bosses. Um, but those are a couple of the things that I would say I'd look for. And this industry is huge. You, you have to count on the people around you, just like a team on the field in a sport game, your team, when you're working in sports, you need to trust them because you all come together, like you said, and make this event, make these big events really what they are. So, and you work 40 plus 60 yeah. plus hours with them. So yeah, that would, I would say is the other part of it is that you have to like the people that you're working with. I'm not saying they have to be your best friend, but a dependable person that you can laugh and enjoy all the craziness with is like, we'll do wonders for your mental health, to be quite honest. You spend 40 hours a week. If, if you're lucky, 40 hours happens every once in a while, but you're closer to 60, 80, depending on what job you're doing hours a week um, with these people. So you see them more than the people that you live with. 
and you become family with them. I, you know, I'm still super close to all of the people that I worked with in Miami, everybody that's still there or everybody that has left and gone to other places around the country. We all still keep in touch and we laugh about all of the things that we did that we were like, how did we even pull that off? And I mean, having teammates that you can do that with is just the most important thing. A lot of young professionals now that either just graduate during the pandemic or maybe even they were they got that entry-level job, but were furloughed due to our industry. What advice do you have for them about securing their next job in sport? I would say stick it out. It's one of those things we're all feeling it. And it's not just at an entry-level position. It's I moved to Philadelphia a year and a half ago and the whole world shut down and there's been really nothing here open either. And that's at any level. But I would say stick with it. Don't get completely discouraged. Network as much as you possibly can and build your group of people and expand that group of people. Because like I said, somebody always knows somebody who knows somebody in this world. It truly is the smallest big world that there is. Like everybody knows everybody and there's always a connection somewhere. So when you are looking and you're looking on LinkedIn or you're looking on teamwork or you're looking at, you know, NCAA marketplace or whatever the deal is, you're looking on there and you can see that you've met somebody that has a contact at whatever school that is or whatever team that is. And you need to use those resources and make sure that you are reaching out, you know, at the appropriate time and place. And it's not to say that they're helping you get the job. It's simply to let them know that you have applied for that position and you are truly interested. And if it's as long as it's somebody that can vouch for the fact that you would be a good employee with a lot of those things that I just mentioned that I'd want in a teammate, that's something that people will look for and it will help get your resume into the right person's hands for that next job, whatever it is. And I know it's frustrating. Believe me, I know it's frustrating. I've been there. I felt it. I am feeling it again. You know, we all are in this world. I had events canceled and it's things that, you know, we can't control. Those are things that are out of our control. So I wouldn't say give up. I would say keep pushing forward. This all will come back. I would say Super Bowl was such a great indication of all of that. So keep moving forward. Take it a day at a time. Do the best that you can. If for some reason you need to go get a part-time job or whatever it is right now, go and do it and then get your foot, uh, you know, back in that door, drop your head down, work really hard, make sure that you're, you know, on the top of that list when those jobs do come back open. Great advice, Christy. I am seeing that jobs are starting to trickle back. Do you get that vibe too? Yeah, same. We, I have looked as well, just, you know, for myself and honestly, I have three sisters and all of us work in sports. So we just, for all of us have been, you know, kind of keeping up with it and looking, and it's something that is a daily occurrence in our sister group chat that somebody has looked for a job somewhere. So we look for those jobs quite frequently. And I will say just recently, I've seen that more and more things are opening up with teams and leagues and different venues around the country that, you know, weren't there just a couple of months ago. So it does feel like a little bit of hope coming back that maybe this will all, you know, restart somehow or another one of these days. So all your sisters, that's an interesting fact. All your sisters work in sport. We're talking about how your office um, is a family. You're literally, you have family in sport. (laughs) I do. I am the oldest of five kids. My brother actually works in self-driving cars, so he does not work in sports, but I do have other sisters. One of my sisters is the director of softball ops at Louisville. And then the other one of my sisters works in PR for the Vikings in Minnesota. So she actually got to do that Super Bowl a few years ago when it was up there. That was her first year. And that was some experience that she got that she never even thought she would have. And then my other sister is a volleyball coach. 
as well as works for the network in Pittsburgh that broadcasts um, the Pirates and the Penguins games. So yeah, we all work in different worlds in the sporting industry, but all of our paths have crossed here at some point. Talk about a fun family. Your holiday conversations are probably <laughs> amazing. Yeah, they are. I mean, and my parents love it. Like I said, I grew up into this world. Um, so my parents love the behind the scenes and all the talk of everything that's going on that, you know, maybe other people don't see or don't know. But yeah, so it's an interesting conversation. There's never really a dull moment with us. So are there crazy holiday conversations for sure. Wonderful. This has been a tremendous episode, Christy. It was so nice meeting you in Tampa. And I know our relationship and our connections in the sport industry are just going to flourish from here. Thank you for providing your advice to the Living Sport Podcast and our whole Living Sport community. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was awesome meeting you. You guys are doing an amazing job with the Living Sport program. Those students were incredible and working with you and Connor was absolutely awesome. So we're looking forward to continue to build that relationship moving forward in the future. We would love that. We'll see you soon. Thank you. My name is Christy Bonk and I am Living Sport. Hey, Living Sport Network. Thank you for listening to the Living Sport Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to not miss another episode. And feel free to share this episode with your friends. At Living Sport, we utilize sport as a catalyst to experience the world and to inspire personal and professional growth through our international and domestic sport business programs. Our sport business network is for students and recent grads looking to gain an edge over the thousands looking to work in sport. For more information about Living Sport and our programs, please visit livingsport.com. Thank you and have a great day.